Welcome to the Army Talent Management Podcast, where we explore how the Army is optimizing its human capital management practices to develop a ready, professional, diverse, and integrated team of trusted professionals that are prepared to fight and win in a complex world. Talent wins, and winning matters. Hello, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Dave Cicchetti. Welcome back to the Army Talent Management Podcast, a podcast that is produced and maintained by members of the Army Talent Management Task Force. In this episode, we will discuss the Army's new Career Intermission Program, or simply CIP. While the program has been in pilot study since 2014, it wasn't until the 6th of May this year that the Secretary of the Army signed a directive making it a permanent program. The CIP allows soldiers to take a break in service for up to three years to pursue personal or professional goals. This program is a radical step towards retaining talent in the United States Army and modernizes our personnel management policy to keep pace with industry. With me today is Sergeant First Class Sean Booty. Sergeant First Class Booty is a senior medical laboratory specialist at Martin Army Community Hospital in Fort Benning, Georgia, and participated in the Career Intermission Program pilot from 2017 to 2019. Sergeant First Class Booty, welcome. Thank you, sir. Also with us today is Major Jed Hudson. Major Jed Hudson is the initiative lead with the Talent Management Task Force and the subject matter expert on the program. Jed, welcome. Thanks, sir. So as we discussed in the intro, this program has been in development and pilot since 2014. Uh, Major Hudson, can you tell the audience a little bit about the history and the why of this program? Was this a CSA-directed item, or was this an idea generated from the ground up? Well, it was generated from the ground up, uh, but not from the Army. So the Army actually wasn't interested in this program at all. And if you think back of to what the Army was going through in 2008 and then 2009 when the authorization was granted, um, and then you know, then the year subsequent to that, the Army really did not want this program. Um, the Army, had we were fighting wars, and then we were drawing down in size. And this program didn't seem to make a lot of sense to the Army. But the Navy pushed pretty hard for it to, to Congress, and Congress granted the authorization to implement a pilot program across all the services. The Army uh, decided not to implement that pilot program for a few years. But However, in 2014, the um, uh, Department of Defense told the Army, you will implement this program as a pilot. And so the Army implemented it then and opened it up to uh, non-commissioned officers, warrant officers, and officers, uh, and had a goal of of, uh, about 25 participants from enlisted and 25 officers per year, um, but ended up not getting anywhere close to that. In fact, actually had less than that total since 2014. Uh, however, it's been in pilot program since then, and then, as you mentioned earlier in the program, on the 6th of May this year, the acting secretary of the Army at the time signed an Army directive, making it a permanent program. Uh, and now uh, the, the, this program is open to all uh, service members who are active duty and U.S. Army Reserve, Active Guard Reserve, and um, it's a one-time thing. So it, it, you said it was up to three years, but you can't do one year and then later do another year. You said uh, you had up to 25 participants, but... How, how many pilots were conducted, or was each participant a, a pilot case? Well, technically, it's just one pilot that took place since 2014. It was called the Career Intermission Pro- Pilot Program, so CIPP, and now it's just CIP. Uh, and, uh, again, through that one single pilot that ran from 2014 to the first part of 2021, there were 22 total participants in the pilot program, and that includes officers and non-commissioned officers. What was their their feedback from the program? 
uh, from the participants. Right, yeah. So um, many of the participants are actually already out of the military. Uh, the bulk of that 22 participated in the earlier end of that time frame from 2014 to 2021. Um, however, the ones that we have talked with, and Sergeant, um, Sergeant First Class Booty is one of them, uh, is that the program is a fantastic opportunity, uh, but there are some bureaucratic issues that make the program, that limit the program from being even better. Uh, and so we're working, one thing we're working with Talent Management Task Force is to increase awareness because a lot of people don't know it exists. And the second thing is to streamline the program to make it easier to use. When you talk about like bureaucratic processes, there's there any specific examples uh, beyond um, what you just mentioned uh, with regards to communication and uh, streamlining? So when somebody participates in the career and admission program, they are transitioning from the active duty, the regular Army or U.S. Army Reserve, AGR, into the individual ready reserve. Uh, and that has to be a complete transition. You have to out-process the Army as if you were heading out on terminal leave um, or retiring or anything like that. Uh, for officers, you actually have to re-scroll your commission into a commission in the IRR. Uh, and that in itself is significantly challenging uh, just that. And, and that can only be streamlined so much because law mandates that our personnel are managed differently depending on which component they're in. Uh, however, um, other issues we could probably uh, will probably ch um, improve themselves over time as the program matures, uh, and also I think we can work to refine the process a little better. Actually, the Army regulation that will govern this is still in staffing, so I anticipate when that regulation comes out that that will help streamline some of this. Uh, and then again, some of it is just because it's not a very mature program since only 22 people have participated in it. I think we just need to get a little bit better practice as far as processing the paperwork and, and the various agencies that would help you uh, out-process the Army and then again re-in-process the Army. Those agencies become more familiar with the program and they, they can do it a little bit better. You know, we just did a pre-command course brief and I was interested to see uh, a few questions about this program. So as we get the message out, I think it's good to have leaders talking to their soldiers about participating in this and well. And it was good to see those questions and the feedback coming from the people that are about to go into command. Uh, Sergeant First Class Booty, what were your reasons for uh, joining this program? Well, sir, I wanted to apply for a nursing program for a year, an accelerated nursing program. So when I got into that program, I thought this is the quickest way to actually meet that deadline. There's, I know the Army offers other opportunities uh, to become a nurse, but this just seems more clear-cut. I applied to the school. I got into school. I just needed to, a break from the military in order to complete that. That's great. So you wanted to be a nurse, and you wanted to go get that nursing degree, uh, but you couldn't do it throughout the military without going through a bunch of hoops and ladders and possibly derailing your career. So basically, this was an opportunity to do this and then come back into the military. Is that correct? That's correct, sir. Uh, was your branch generally accepting of you participating in this program? Uh, generally, there was a lot of hesitation. Um, the first time I applied, I, I was a staff sergeant, and um, uh, not a lot of folks know about it knew about it at the time or no one knew about it at the time and um, there wasn't like a lot of support. Um, however, after I made Sergeant First Class um, from that command, uh, there was some hesitation. Still, no one knew about the program, but 
I brought them the information. I mean, we got through the process, but there was some hesitation. Back to back to Jed. So when this came out, I think we at the task force were happily surprised to see so much interest on social media and requests for more information. Uh, so let's go over some basic information. Who is eligible and what are the requirements to be considered? Well, first off, as I said, you have to be uh, active duty or U.S. Army Reserve AGR. For NCOs, you have to be between the grades or including uh, the, the grades of E5 through E8. And it's for warrant officers and officers, it's open to all ranks. However, for all participants, you have to be complete with your initial uh, service obligation as well as have less than 17 years of active service in. Uh, so those are kind of the basic criteria. Um, there's a few other uh, specific criteria of those that can't participate as well, but that, that's those are the basics on who can participate. Also, you ha- you can't be uh, uh, on a centrally selected school list and promotion list and so, so forth. But otherwise, you know, it, it's generally open, and there's not a list of reasons on why you can apply. So you don't need to meet uh, meet a very strict criteria. There, I mean, it's it's really open to any reason. Uh, again, if those those applying, I would, I would recommend not stating that you're looking to do nothing, um, but yeah. there's not a set list of reasons on why you can apply. So it really, the, the, the door is open to a wide range of options. So is there anyone that cannot apply? As I said before, those that are on centrally selected school list or uh, promotion list, uh, officer serving in joint billets, uh, those coming up for deployment or in the middle of a PCS, uh, that would include if you have your PCS orders, uh, and you're already in that process. Uh, if you just anticipate a PCS, it wouldn't apply in that sense. In that sense, um, others that can't participate is if you had misconduct in the last two years and so forth. And there's a few other uh, minor nuances here and there. But by and large, it's open to the active force who have completed their initial service obligation with less than 17 years of service. Uh, is there a limited amount of slots available for this program? There's not. So as I said, there was a quota that they were trying to meet. It was almost a minimum quota they were trying to meet for the pilot, did not meet that. Uh, there is no quota right now or any type of threshold. I, I don't anticipate this being a problem, but in the event that, say, everybody applies for CIP, then I'm sure we'd have to relook that in the future. So on active duty, you know, you've got shelter, you've got a paycheck, you've got a housing allowance, you've got health care. Uh, but when you do this program, what do you retain while you go into IRR status? So first off, you retain two thirtieths of your base pay. So just think of it like two days a month uh, you're getting paid. You also retain all your on-post privileges. So you can come on, use the PX and the commissary and all the AFES uh, related services. Uh, you get to retain your medical benefits for yourself and your dependents, uh, which I think is a very significant benefit. And then lastly, you get a paid move. So just as if you were retiring out of the Army and they PCS'd you one last time, you get that. And then, of course, you get the paid move on your way back into the Army uh, if you choose to take that. So those are the benefits uh, that you receive while in the program. Uh, Sergeant First Class Booty, you know, the Army, uh, as I said earlier, gives you kind of an umbrella uh, with regards to services, you know, Major Hudson talked about health care, PX privileges, things like that. Uh, how is your experience transitioning uh, coming out of active duty into this program? Uh, the transition the transition was very good, sir. Um, as you know, it's, it seems like it's easier to get in trouble than it is uh, to get out of it. My overall experience from it was, was very good. Uh, transitioning from active duty um, to uh, civilian, um, as far as this program, it was streamless. Um, I received my DD-218, I'm sorry, DD-214. Uh, everything was uh, was normal. Um, other than that, sir, it, it was just pretty much just straightforward. I 
made it home. Um, it was the the administrative process of our processing um, took much longer than originally anticipated. It took about a couple of months, so there was a lot of delays. So the original intended time for my um, exit uh, was pushed back, I want to say, maybe like five months. That's that's pretty much it, sir, as far as that part. Um, okay. Once I was out, I was out. Um, I received um, all the benefits um, that was just previously described. Uh, it was the two years that um, I was out for um, was very was very productive. But when it was time for me to come back in, I received the same type of um, hesitation, the same type of uh, uh, friction as I did when I was leaving the military. And that's mainly because no one really knew about this program. So I would imagine that with all of that, you know, with more knowledge, more um, visibility on the program, subsequent experience will be more pleasant. Hey, thanks for that. Major Hudson, who should apply? Who would you encourage to apply for this program? I would start off by saying that this program is clearly not for everybody. Um, and I think, uh, I think that's a good thing. I don't think, I don't think the Army could handle, you know, enormous numbers of people applying for this. Who should apply? Uh, I think it's, you know, gosh, the, the list is endless, but what comes to mind from the inquiries that I've been seeing, I see a lot of married Army couples program, especially those that have a calendar uh, or timelines that are not synchronized. And this allows uh, the, the, the married couple to synchronize their timeline, whether it's with deployments, a PCS, or schools, and uh, one or potentially both of the service members get out for a time, sync that calendar, and then they come back in, and that allows them to have more time together, more time with their children if applicable. Other options would be the need to take care of family members. And we've seen a lot of inquiries about that, whether it's a, it's a young child, you, know, you just had a baby or something, and you want that time to bond and build your family, or a family member that's sick um, or needs assistance for any reason. I think those are great reasons to participate in this program. In addition, if you need to learn a skill, especially if you intend to use that skill after military service, instead of ending your military service and then trying to gain or refine that skill prior to uh, being able to use that for employment, you can use you can gain and refine that skill now, and then uh, utilize it immediately upon your transition outside of the army. So again, if you want to be an entrepreneur, have your own business, or if there's a family business, you want to learn how to do that and to be able to transition right into that. Uh, and then there's actually one individual who who was inquiring about the program who wanted to just travel the world and wanted to spend many months doing that, most likely eight to twelve months doing it. And of course, you'd never be able to take enough leave to do that uh, while you're still having your career. So his intention was to retire as soon as possible and then travel with his family before his kids graduated from high school. But he saw this program as a potential way to do that and then come back and serve many more years in the Army. Uh, so I think all those reasons and many reasons I probably haven't even thought of are all excellent reasons, and I would encourage those people to apply. Do you have any examples of somebody doing this program to go learn the family business? Was there any, anything in specific like no, that? No, not that, not that I'm aware of, but I can anticipate that uh, – that would that would come to fruition in the near future. So now I'm going to put on my skeptical hat uh, for a second. You know, in, in my branch, uh, the infantry, I know that there's a certain level of technical competency that comes with keeping up with the latest equipment and tactics. And if not exercised regularly, 
you can lose some of that skill set. There's, you know, constant change going on with mission command equipment and things like that. But how does the Army ensure that people in this program don't lose that warfighter edge? So it is on the individual to maintain their ability to do what they were doing when they entered the program. Uh, most notably, there are certain career fields that have credentials and, and very particular skill sets. So, for example, a lawyer, you know, you have to be, you have to be uh, a member of the bar in some state, right? You have to maintain those credentials. If you were a nurse, you'd have to maintain your nursing credentials and be able to execute your duties upon return to the Army. And uh, there will be consequences if you come back and you're unable to, uh, to do your, to your piece. You have to maintain your, your medical and your physical readiness uh, when you come back into the program. And so that same line of thinking, although just not to an, as the extreme example, but that same line of thinking would apply to any career field. You, if you as an infantryman participated in the program, you'd be expected to come back in and be able to serve in the capacity of an infantryman. And I would argue that you should be able to do that uh, in the same way that you could have a broadening position like you're in right now, and yet the Army still feels comfortable sending you to be an infantry battalion commander in the near future, right? Um, so, uh, it, again, is the onus is on you, but uh, I don't think the Army has a great fear of that because people serve outside their career fields regularly, and they're still able to maintain their competence. Uh, well, sir, um, I can also attest to that because as a laboratory technician by trade for the military uh, when i when i leave the military i did contract positions as a technician and uh, the experience that i got was vast i worked in uh, many different labs it enhanced my knowledge of many different laboratory equipments that we use here um, when i returned to the military, um, the equipment that they were using here at Martin Army Community Hospital, I was very, very familiar with. Um, I was a standalone lab technician in Ohio in one of my uh, contracts, and I had to bring this machine up and down um, for many, many months. So it was very beneficial for me to have that experience, and I, I felt um, stronger as a lab technician because, as you know, um, once you become a certain rank, they no longer um, have you directly on the floor. So once I was a senior staff sergeant, um, I was more um, put into more administrative positions. So some of those skills were diminished. So this being out for um, the two years and missing my original class date, you know, was I felt was um, a benefit. Um, I was able to improve this this portion, hone this skill, and return back into the military better than I. I left. So that's interesting. So you doing this program actually made you a better expert at your your technical job down at a Martin Community Hospital. Uh, Roger, sir. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, follow a question from Major Hudson. Can anyone do this program twice? You and I both have friends that have children four and sometimes five years apart. Can they do two sabbaticals to do that? No, sir, they can't. So even though it's up to three years you can only it's a one-time shot uh, and so that you don't get to save your remaining sabbatical time for a future portion of your career how does the army make sure these individuals um, do not become penalized in their career timelines well that's an excellent question and i don't think i have a perfect answer for you i do believe that there's that there is risk to uh harming your career by participating in this program yeah it sounds like you got to balance it out like you got to there's responsibility on the individual to keep up with the latest equipment and techniques and maintain their health 
Um, but there's also the branch side of things. Yes, sir. So, um, so when part of your application for the program is a counseling statement from your uh, 05 level commander where you acknowledge that there are career risks to participating in the program. You know how competitive it is for an officer career, for example. There is risk, not saying it's guaranteed, but there is risk that you will be slightly less competitive uh, going forward. However, I, you know, the, this program is intended to where you pick up right where you left off. So in theory, if we execute this program right, then you come right back where you left off. Not physically, you will be in a new duty station, but you come right back in your career where you left off. Your years of service should be retained. Your um, your skill set should be retained. And uh, as long as you maintain those skills, you should be competitive uh, in order to be able to get hired in a job. You know, officers, of course, use the marketplace. Uh, Non-commissioned officers will be transitioning to a marketplace. And, uh, and I think that incentive will be there as well as the information on the front end so they know they must maintain their competitiveness in order to continue uh, when they, for when they come back. Can men take three years off to raise a child? Like we tend to think of this as like, you know, female soldiers uh, that, you know, want to start a family, but there's also, you know, men uh, want to start a family too. Can men take three years off? To yeah, ab- absolutely. There's, there's zero limitations there. This program doesn't differentiate between gender in any capacity. If someone wants to take care of their family, if somebody wants to travel the world or do anything like we mentioned before, those are all great reasons to, uh, to pursue this program. How would you advise a battalion commander who they have a lieutenant or an NCO come to them asking, like, hey, is this something I should do? What, what advice would you give those leaders? So I, I would focus on two things. First off, this program is a great solution to someone who is about to make a permanent career decision over a temporary life situation. And if someone meets that criteria where they are either going to – they feel they need to get out of the Army or they just need to suck it up and their family or some other entity suffers, I think they don't have to make that choice anymore. There's now this third option where now they can go take care of this temporary situation and still continue their career so they no longer have to make the permit decision. So if somehow that the person – the individual you're talking to, if they fit into that criteria – then I think I would recommend the battalion commander bring up this program to that soldier. The other piece is what the soldier owes on the backside. So the active duty service obligation with it is two to one right now. And I certainly have hopes that that will be reduced in the future. But right now, it's two to one. So if you spent one month in the program, you would owe two months to the Army on the backside. But the thing about this ADSO is that it is consecutive, not concurrent to other ADSOs. If you already owed the Army three years of time and then you entered into the program for three years, upon your return, you would owe those remaining three years that you already owed, and then you would owe six more years on top of that. Now, for an officer, I don't think there would be too many times where they would fall into that, where they would already owe a significant amount of time because once they're complete with their initial obligation, their ADSOs generally are not as uh, reoccurring. But for a non-commissioned officer who has not enlisted indefinite yet um, and if they just completed a re-enlistment and they owe the army three four or five more years i do not think this program is ideal for them because the amount of time they would owe the army coming back in is 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 not worth it in my opinion if someone is getting close to the end of their enlistment time uh, and they are thinking they have that temporary situation but they're going to make a permanent career decision about it That, I think, is the sweet spot right there. That's the person who I think this program is intended for.
Sergeant First Class Booty, uh, do you want to add anything to that for advising non-commissioned officers? Uh, well, sir, um, I, I believe that this is a great opportunity for many soldiers for all the reasons that you just mentioned. I know a, a few soldiers who need a break from the military because their family member is sick and they would like to go back and um, take care of that family member or their family member is terminal ill, but they have to leave the military or end their career in order to um, take care of that person. My advice, sir, would be to sit down and really counsel the soldier, find out what is really the, um, what's really the best path forward. You know, it's, it's an individual decision, so it's, it's not like uh, one blanket fits all. So uh, in the event you have a crisis, uh, illness in the family or something like that, and that's why you want to pursue this program, I would just remind our listeners that it is not a quick process to get in. Um, It is likely close to a year from when you apply to when you're able to begin the program. And so you may be looking at other temporary solutions in the short run that include leave, permissive TDY, perhaps even a compassionate reassignment or something to that effect then following with utilizing this program. So it's, it's not a quick fix. Oh, that's a great point. Closing this out, uh, for Major Hudson, how does this program support the Chief of Staff's People First initiative? Well, I think flexible career paths is one of the major tenets of talent management and the Army People strategy, right? And this is flexibility. It is not the solution for all. In fact, it's not the solution for even most. But it's just one more option that commanders have to recommend and that soldiers have to utilize when it comes to their career. And I think by allowing people to have that flexibility, it shows that we care for the individual. And the Army, in turn, will benefit because those individuals will likely continue to serve and that investment continues to pay out. So with that, I think we'll wrap things up. Uh, To our guests, thanks for being on the show. And to our audience, thank you for joining me today. Please subscribe to our podcast on Apple or Google Podcasts. And for more information, visit the Talent Management Task Force website. Thank you for joining me. Talent wins and winning matters. The Army Talent Management Task Force would like to thank our listeners for tuning in to today's podcast. For more information on Army Talent Management Initiatives, or if you have an idea for a future podcast, please visit our website at talent.army.mil. Don't forget to share with your colleagues.